to Queer by Birth, Proud by Choice. I am your host, Jake Federowski. My pronouns are they, them, and I navigate the world as a white, genderqueer individual. For the inaugural conversation, I am thrilled to be sharing space with Dr. Tracy Q. Gilbert, a sex and sexuality educator and the host of the podcast TSOB with Dr. G, the sex ed of black folk. Dr. G, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited you actually listened to the podcast. <laughs> I love it. It's It's been one of my favorites. Um, I've been following the first season here and yeah. I loved the, I can't remember who the guest was, but the, the LGBTQ episode. Oh, Nefertari. Yes, Nefertari. Nefertari Sloan. That's mm. a homie. <laughs> so good. So good. So much like just rich information. And yeah. Mm. I loved it. Um, <laughs> so to kick things off, um, would you mind sharing your pronouns and um, then sharing, you know, is there anything that's been on your mind today? Um, anything that you're kind of bringing to the conversation? Um, you know, anything that you've been kind of just tossing around in your mind? It doesn't have to do with, you know, pride or um, sure. anything. Just, you know, sure. what, are you, what are you bringing to the table today? Sure. Um, so my pronouns currently, I'm, I'm playing around with, with, pronouns. Um, I'm, I'm usually comfortable with anything respectful. Um, I have she, I wrote she, her here just because that's the easiest for folks, but um, I'm pretty much anything respectful. Uh, I am definitely comfortable with, with, with playing around with them. So anything respectful is all right with me. Um, in terms of what I'm bringing to the table, what's on my mind? Well, we just talked about editing. I'm in the middle of editing uh, an episode and um just thinking about, uh, well, the, the episode is around music. So um, this month is Black Music Month. And so I've been using the podcast to really kind of talk about the ways that music can be used to, um, and particularly Black music can be used to to facilitate discussions in sex ed and to talk about different topics. And um, so I'm always, that always has me thinking and going to a lot of different places. Um, but I'm also thinking about pride. I'm always thinking about pride. Um, I think it's interesting too that it this year we're we're also talking about the 40th year of um, HIV, the, our uh, awareness of HIV and AIDS. So I'm thinking about that too, just kind of a random hodgepodge of things. So all of that is on my mind, and as well as just wanting to be present. I'm also thinking about being present and not being so much in my head. Uh, I've been since the pandemic, I've really gotten into meditation and trying to be present and not be so neurotic and thinking about things that are not what's happening now. So I'm also, even with all that stuff in my head, I'm like, let me be here with Jake and let's just discuss what comes up between the two of us. Can I do that? I think we can. So I love that. I love that attitude. That's wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all of that together. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know the for me too. The the editing has been it's it's a project. Let absolutely. me tell you, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I've and you know I've I am part of different communities of of folks, and I think community has been the reason why I've been able to get this going. Communities of podcasters, and one of the things they talk about is like you know don't go do too much. Just like allow some things to be what they are, and it's like yeah, that's cool. And there's a certain kind of vibe that I'm going for and a certain zhuzh. And even if you're just doing the basics, like that takes a lot of effort. And so I think um, for me, it's been, it's literally been a labor of love, but, which is why I'm so grateful that you're listening. Cause I'm like, honestly, 
The only reason I allowed myself to do it was because uh, I knew I wanted to do it, period. Even if nobody listened to it, I just wanted it to be out there. So I'm like, I'm glad you're listening. <laughs> Somebody's listening. <laughs> oh, no, it's, you know, what I really love, because there's there's so many podcasts out there. And Facts. here we are with another one, right? <laughs> um, but what I really love about your podcast is it's just so... I just, when I click play, I know that it's going to bring a smile to my face. And I know that like, I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to learn something. Um, And it's just such a warm, yeah. (laughs) It's just such a great environment. (laughs) I just really love the space that you've created. And um, yeah, it's, it's such a great project and I congratulate you on it and can't wait to continue listening. Yes. Thank you so much. I've got, I've got like really, I've got all the, pretty much all the episodes except one for this season recorded. And I'm just like super excited for the ones that we're going to get through through the rest of the month. Cause they're all phenomenal. And everyone I interview, like they're just awesome conversations that I'm just like, Oh, this was so good. Like I would <laughs> listen to this if it were me. So I figure that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. What have you um, really like, what has been the most challenging thing about working, you know, producing a podcast? And then what's been the most like rewarding or exciting thing about it? Yeah. So um, I will definitely, I'll start with the the good stuff first. I think the most rewarding has been the quality of the conversations and just really being able to see the vision take flight. Um, I've been wanting to do a podcast since probably around 20... 15, but I kind of rested in that narrative that, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do that. I'm a, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I think 2020 just shifted a lot of shit where it was just like, oh, wait, can we curse? Are we, is yep. we yep. okay. Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> <laughs> that is one thing I'm known for. Definitely can curse. All right. Um, so 2020 was really about just knocking the dust off of everything and just kind of resetting things. And, um, I reached a point that I had given my energy out to so many other places and I was just exhausted. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. What do I really want? And in the process of pulling back my energy, it just came back to me. Like, you want to do this podcast? What, what do you want it to be? And the name had been in my head since 2017 when I was collecting data for my dissertation. And um, I was like, okay, so let's just see what it would be, what it would be. And then I joined communities of regular people who were doing it. And it was like, okay, well, look, if they can do it, I can do it. What did you do? And so I just literally started following their steps. Uh, I planned, like I've mapped out the whole year. So people will be like, oh, have you considered asking so-and-so? I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, pause. Uh, I've got this worked out. Do not stress me (laughs) because that was also the thing of like, I have to see it first before I can carry it out. Like if I hadn't planned out the year, I probably would have quit back in February because it's the challenge is that it's, it's a lot of work, especially if it is not your full-time job and you're not a professional, you know, sound person. And so I'm sitting with this audacity, like, okay, how can we do? And, 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 you know, we talked about it before you press record, like, oh, I want to do video and I'm going to do da da da. And I'm going, right. <laughs> and then it starts happening. You're like, okay, actually. <laughs> like, actually, no, no, sure ain't. My bad. My bad. I know you got dressed up to talk to me this Saturday morning, but it ain't happening, Captain. Sorry. <laughs> but you learn and, 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 um, thankfully, you know, I think I know enough about myself now to be able to adjust to those things. So I built in like, nope, I'm gonna need a break. And I'm gonna need about two months of a break to rest up from those episodes. It's like putting in those pieces really helps keep it going. Like once we end in June, I've got a couple things coming up in the summer, but it's really like 
put it down, pause, so I can come back to it in full force in the fall. And so I think just really kind of knowing myself and knowing what my energy capacities are, knowing what the other things are on my plate and making, you know, having really solid boundaries has been able to kind of squelch, like to, to, what's the word, buffer against the the challenges that come from doing it. Because it's not easy. And a lot of folks will say, oh, I can do that. Uh Okay, good luck. You can probably do it if you just sit and talking and you don't have nothing to say and you don't have any, you know, you don't have any zhuzh or you're not trying to make it actually be something. You're just on there talking shit. Yeah, anybody can do that. But a podcast takes vision and work and effort. So like a good one that people are going to want to listen to. So. Yeah, I, I totally I'm I'm learning all those things as I make my way through this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> With this being the beginning of the series um, and kind of surrounding this idea of like the queer identity, queer experience and whatnot. Yeah. I really thought that focusing in on um, the the sex and sexuality education. And it was a nice parallel Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of start off the conversation. So I wondered with you kind of with you being the expert, um, (laughs) if you wouldn't mind kind of breaking down some of the sex, sex and sexuality terminology, you know, I'm thinking a little bit about, you know, what's the difference between sexuality and sex and gender and um, sexual orientation and, you know, all those different things. And I know that that list goes on for days and on and on and (laughs) And every day we're adding more and more and more, (laughs) but that's the beauty of it. Right. Like, like I think we are reaching this wonderful time. And, and, and so you're going to hear me a lot folks. And so I ask you, forgive me in advance. I'm not doing this to be adultist, but I am, I'm an auntie, I'm an auntie face. So I'm going to say this a lot in terms of this generation and that generation, but it's just kind of the lens that I have. Um, and I feel like this particular generation, younger millennials and Gen Zers have really done an amazing job in terms of just busting the doors open and just really showing us all the beautiful opportunities that are out there in terms of how we show up in the world sexually, how we engage with each other, how we, the labels that we put on it. And so I say all that to say, I'm going to give you these terms, but know that they are all, there are no sacred cows as far as I can see, and we can bust it all up because that's the beauty of it. Um, So I think when we're talking about sex and sexuality, one, um, we, we have to recognize that sexuality really is this it's a literal universe. Um, part of the research that I did l- looking at uh, sexuality and race with African-American folks really started with having them think about all the ways that sex shows up for them. And with that, what what was what came out was that it really is just the process of just being in the world as a sexual being, making choices around who you're going to engage with sexually, how you're going to engage with them, if you're going to engage with them, uh, um, what labels you're going to put on it, what you like, what you don't like. All of that is really what sexuality is. So I think because we're human beings and we like things simple, we may use sexuality to refer to like things that are really just a tiny, tiny star within the universe. And so I think really just recognizing sexuality is infinite as as it is being a human being is infinite, I think is really a good place to start. Within there, though, we have terms like sex, sexual orientation, uh, gender identity, gender expression, gender roles, all of those different pieces. And so I'm just going to really quickly probably just try to get through sex, sexual orientation and gender like that, those pieces, because we don't have enough time to get through the right. 
Um, but sex. Okay, so sex, what we understand is sex is really kind of the um, biological assignment that you were given based on a combination of various parts of your, I shouldn't say biological assignment, the assignment you were given based on various variations in your biology. And so there's up to six different levels that a person um, can have based on the typical binary that we've established in our society, male and female. Um, So that includes things like um, what your external genitals look like, whether or not you have a penis or a vulva, what your internal reproductive systems look like. So if you have, um, you know, a prostate or if you have a um, uterus and and fallopian tubes and all those things, Um, but also looking at your chromosomes. So whether or not you have XX xx or xy or some variation of that um your hormones whether or not your body's producing testosterone predominantly or estrogen predominantly um let's see it's been a long time since i looked at these so but there's like five like five or six different levels and any type of variation in all those levels could really um could could represent what we know to be intersex folks and so actually before i get there the idea is that if you are quote unquote all male or all male assigned, then you would have, you know, XY with um, internal system of a prostate and a vast deference and a scrotum and all of those good things. Your external would be a penis when we're looking at it. Um, you would produce testosterone. If you are quote unquote all female, then you would have uh, XX and um, produce estrogen. You would um, have the internal organs that I mentioned, the uterus, the the fallopian tubes, the eggs, um, and you would have a vulva on the outside and a vagina, right? Any variation in those levels that we're talking about could indicate that someone is intersex. And that has implications in terms of not only just in terms of what a person's reproductive capacity might be or reproductive um, potential may be, but it also, um, we know that it has a difference in terms of what may be showing up for them in in their brain sex, which is another another piece that's not necessarily... that's not the scientific term. I apologize. I don't have the scientific term in my head, but but it it, uh, can affect how one perceives themselves as a gendered being. Um, And so right there, the whole reason of introducing that is to really stress that out the gate, sex is diverse. We are diverse beings. There is no genuine, authentic binary where a person is all here or all there. It's just it's just not happening. Like, like what we uh, what we know from brain science is that most brains, if we want to break it down into the pink and blue, most brains are a combination of pink and blue. There's no brain that is all pink or all blue. And even if if there's ninety eight percent, there's still maybe two percent of of one or the other. And so, um, I think it's always important to start there, particularly centering intersex folks, because I think the medical science field has done a horrible, horrific job in terms of uh, helping us understand this in a healthy way and has made it so that intersex uh, is made to be seen as this abnormality, as this kind of they literally called a dysfunction, when in fact it is really the center where we can really try to understand, I think, all of the other, all of the rest of us that come into um, our understanding of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's where we start with sex. That's just sex. Right. <laughs> That's the first one. Here we That's are. That's the first one. Um, from there, we may talk about sexual uh, sexual orientation, right? Which is really about um, the individuals and or experiences and or things that get us going either romantically, sexually, or both, right? Um, 
this one is, it's, we, there's a lot of different ways people have conceptualized it over time. And again, I want to credit the Gen Zers in particular for helping bust like really, really expand and help challenging some of the ways that we conceptualize this in the past. I will offer that I'm still kind of from the old school that has kind of has kind of conflated with uh, sexual orientation with gender just a little bit to talk about who you're attracted to. So the typical terms that we've heard are like, oh, if you're gay or lesbian, that means you are only attracted to this particular type of person. And so there's a lot of people who still conceptualize their sexual orientation like that. But we want to be clear that now we're recognizing that that is really even in and of itself a limited way to think about how you're attracted to people. But the other the other theory I want to bring in or the other piece of it that I want to bring in is that when we're talking about sexual orientation, we're really talking about three kind of main pieces. One is your orientation or attraction, meaning the people that you're just literally drawn to or the the energies, I would say, that you're drawn to. So it could be folks of your gender, folks of other genders, folks of any genders, uh, folks not of gender at all, right? Just, just what gets you going, basically. Um, then there's the behavior, and that involves who you engage in behaviors with. And so... Um, that can be, you know, who you're having sex with, who you're dating, who you're willing to fall in love with, who you're willing to marry, uh, et cetera, et cetera, who you, you know, who you're hooking up with, et cetera. And then I is the identity, which literally just refers to the label, right? And so especially now we recognize that can be all of these things. Um, and so the going original science was that um, a person who, um, that the goal, if you were, is to have folks line up as much as possible along OBI. So if they had the orientation of, say, heterosexual, that means that their behavior is they're only having sex with folks of the opposite cisgender. And then their identity is, you know, what heterosexual. But we all know that that's bullshit, too. Right? Yep. <laughs> and so that, too, has gotten blown up to where we understand that, um, all m most folks in the world have all of those three. It just looks like however the fuck they want it to look like. So, you know, someone can easily have an orientation where they're attracted to say, um, they're, uh, they're emotionally attracted to say all genders, right. But their behavior, um, it, it may look maybe heterosexual, right. Like often we talk about in pride of folks, just because you see someone in a heterosexual relationship doesn't mean that they identify as heterosexual. It just means you see them in a heterosexual relationship. And so their behavior may represent that, but then their orientation is different. And then their identity label is something else entirely. And so that's another kind of way of looking at sexual orientation. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. then from there, we have gender, which is like, gender is its own class. Gender is its own thing, but it's really, um, gender identity, we'll start there, is really the internalized sense we have of, of our own masculinity or femininity or lack thereof, right? And so within that, we have gender identity, which is, again, that internal sense of self. We have uh, gender expression, which is what we, what we have that look like in terms of how we choose to adorn ourselves or not adorn ourselves. Um, we have uh, gender roles, which is the expectations. And, and, and so outside of gender identity and outside of gender um, expression, the rest of those pieces are really much more about how society organizes gender. So gender roles, gender socialization, um, gender markers, gender parties, all that shit is really about what society does 
once they determine you fit within the binary that we've established. So when you think about pregnant people, the first thing that usually is asked is, oh, well, do you know the sex, right? And then from there, we make the assumption that, oh, that means you're going to be like this. And we're going to talk to you even in utero uh, according to that ideology and then raise you accordingly. And we know that's fucking problematic, (laughs) but that is, that's really how it all starts to float together. You can see it's really big, but I'm mm-hmm. going to stop there just because I know I probably gave a lot of words. No. And like, what the fuck? <laughs> but yeah, yeah. What the fuck indeed? <laughs> what the fuck indeed? And to me, at least those definitions, while it is, you know, so expansive, mm-hmm. they do seem to be pretty accepted. Uh, like, I feel like a lot of people accept those definitions. Yeah. Um, whereas you start to get in more identifiers, right? Like as you get into like what type of, or, you know, what, how do you identify what is your gender or what is, um, you know, what is your sexual orientation and all those underneath that umbrella term. Yeah. Then those definitions, even though we may have a definition, every single person is going to have their own personal definition of that. Absolutely. And I think, and I actually do want to push back a little bit on something you said about um, kind of, we tend to agree with certain definitions. The one place I will push back on that and kind of disagree is on sex. I think that's one of the places where all of us need to do a little bit better about recognizing the diversity of sex um, and and sexual assignment and recognizing that um, the ways in which we ignore the lived experience of intersex people not only causes them harm, but it causes us harm in terms of really understanding what it means to be in your body and to to have the body that you have. And I think we're not doing enough to really understand the challenges that intersex folks are facing, um, not just even in terms of like the baseline medical shit, right? Like what's happening to their bodies, but the ways that we deny that even the sex binary is bullshit. Male and female is bullshit. Before you even get into uh, gender surgery, you know, get into medical things or getting into, you know, trans folks who may choose to, to have alterations done to their bodies or gender affirmations and things like that. Before we even get into that, the idea of the binary is bullshit. And so I'm going to drop real quick, um, uh, hit up Ann Fausto Sterling for folks who are looking for something to read. Um, Ann Fausto Sterling, Sex, Gender, Biology, and a Social World is amazing in terms of clarifying that. If you can't get that book, just reading um, the essay, The Five Sexes, really breaks down um, the research that was done to really understand that there are at least five uh, baseline sexes. Thank you for all those definitions. I know that was a lot of information. On the topic of definitions, I wonder if we might switch gears a bit and talk a little bit about the definition of pride and what that looks like to you. Um, because I think that that's another term that, you know, while there may be a socially accepted definition, everyone has their own idea of what that means. Yeah. And um, I wonder if you might share a little bit about how that word or what that word brings to mind for you. Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm still evolving in my understanding of pride, particularly as a queer person who came out later in life, like grown ass later (laughs) in life um, and was not in queer community to do that, right? I came out in relationship. I was not in a city where there was like, oh, a lot of, you know, pride or or just out queer people. Um, So I'm still kind of trying to understand it myself. But what I understand about pride is that what comes up for me when I think about pride is really about authenticity and the ways that we are in tune with who we are at our core and in terms of the reality of 
what I believe to be the universal queerness that exists in the world. Like, I am very clear that queerness is essential in in terms of before there was any societies, before there was anything else, there was queerness, right? Um, and and I don't want to get deep in spiritual or or even religious, but I'm like, like for folks coming from the Christian faith, like from folk for folks who look at the creation of the world, like the verse in the Bible says he made them male and female, right? Like out the gate, the first being was at minimum gender non-binary. And even if you go beyond that, all things were one before before the distinctions were made. So this idea that like, oh, the binary, no, the binary is not what's natural. Queerness is what was is there and was there and is always there. And so, you know, for me, pride is really about acknowledging that and holding space for that and not backing away from that. Um, and I think, of course, when we place, when we understand uh, pride within a political context, we recognize that there is the very real fight that pride originated from, right? I love the folks who remind us that pride was originally a riot and not, you know, just some party where we get to wear our rainbows and go out and kiss each other. I mean, that's fun. <laughs> but also that pride started with folks pushing back on structures and systems that were no longer serving, if they ever were serving, right? And I think in light of all the things we see happening politically with the continued fight against recognizing the rights of trans folks and um, by extension, you know, intersex folks and genderqueer, you know, all of, uh, just recognizing the humanity and the lack of recognition there, I think there's this continuing, this continual uh, recognition that like, it's still a fight, right? There's still a responsibility to show up and show out and just recognize like these structures and systems are no longer serving and we refuse to be beholden to them, right? Um, the the fight, the the fight that we saw last year, you know, in terms of the resurgence of of Black Lives Matter and folks kind of pushing against the the police state and, and saying, no, fuck that, abolish those motherfuckers. Like we're no longer doing don't stop killing us. It's like, no, motherfucker, get out. <laughs> Out. we're done yeah, it's here. done it's get done. your yep. shit and get out right you know and i think um that to me is what pride is is set, like no more you cannot do this to us anymore you cannot continue to erect systems and structures that are going to cause harm in our communities we refuse and so for me um it is really about that um I can't think of another term besides bravado, just the air, the audacity to say, I'm here, I matter, you will honor my humanity, or you will you will get right or get left. <laughs> that's what's going to happen. And so that's what it really kind of represents. Like, that's what it all represents to me. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I, I'm glad that you brought up the the Black Lives Matter movement. And I think that one of the things I was actually thinking about this morning as I was preparing for the conversation was, you know, there, to me at least, um, and I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I feel like there's this, this general connotation that pride equals queer or equals like the LGBTQ festival or mm-hmm. parade, right? And mm-hmm. when in reality... Pride exists at at the intersection of um, of the queer community and all of your other I- 
you know, um, identifiers, right. Yeah. And all of those other communities that you're a part of, it's, it's not pride. Isn't just a queer thing. I mean, it yeah. is, but you have, I mean, race plays into that and, you know, class and your family and where you're from. I mean, all yeah. of those things, Yeah, you can have pride in all of those. Yeah. Right. Well, well, and to me, I think what you're talking about is the difference between, um, uh, kind of ghettoizing or kind of categorizing something as being just for these folks and recognizing that these are the folks that need to be centered in this movement that is for everyone. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I think folks who are like, you know, well, yeah, pride is about gay folks. It's like, yes, but it is about, it is about centering the ways that queer folks have, um, leaned into themselves to to be to bring out the pieces that are actually resonant in all of us. One of the things I talk about, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make this keep this truncated, but one of the things I often talk about is is um in my reverence of black trans women is the are the ways that they they bring me back to a more evolved understanding of um transphobia's harm against myself as a cis woman. Right. So thinking about how like femmes like uh, Serena Williams, right, are, or Wendy Williams um, are labeled as being like when they're when they're being castig- castigated in the media, it's often, oh, well, that's a man looking bitch or that's a da 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 da. And it's like, here is something that we know directly has direct implications on trans women, right? Transphobia, uh, uh, trans misogynoir has direct impact on the lived experience of trans women. But we also know it directly relates to other folks in their particular experiences. And so it it then becomes my responsibility to work against this system, not... Okay, let me preface before I'm saying this. I'm not saying this, you only work on it because it affects you, but recognizing that it is not only not only Black trans women's uh, freedom and destiny that's tied up in me working with them, but it's also my own, right? It is my responsibility as well in order to be a part of my own liberation, to be a part of my own healing, to do the work, to shift this discourse, uh, to do this, to, to shift this discourse in places where I can and to exercise my privilege to shift this discourse as well. It's not like I'm coming in like a savior. And so I think with pride, it's that same thing of saying where the pl- pride to me gives us an opportunity to think of where are all the, where are all the places that I'm being inauthentic, right? Where are all the places that I am um, centering false narratives about how the world works, right? So so I always I often talk about uh, when I'm training other sex educators, like you don't need to have queer students in order to center, like to, to abolish heterocentrism. Right. So, you know, when you're teaching, we we talk a lot about like teaching from a from a gender uh abolishing the binary and how we teach. So even using terms like pregnant people, right? Talking about um, anatomy uh, as male assigned and female assigned versus female and male, like using gender neutral terms, like using like different ways to kind of shift shift away from that historic archaic narrative that, oh, the natural order of things is this and this. It, and And so for me, pride is really, an opportunity for us all to like really, really just think 
what are the what are the ways that the systems of heterocentrism, what are the ways of homophobia, what are the ways that it causes harm in my own life, right? What are the ways that I can, by embodying the ethos of pride, um, experience my own liberation in my life, right? Like I think um, cis men absolutely have a lot to gain from leaning into pride and leaning into um the the fight of pushing against systems and pushing against narratives that that do not serve um but cis women at look uh, let me not even act cis women as well have a lot to learn about uh you know like uh i was thinking about it the other day and this is not a new thought it was just something that came to my own head about the ways that especially um within my community within the african american community that cis women will often fight gay men, like gay cis men and trans women for cis men as if they're not causing harm to all three groups and like feel like, oh, I got to be, we got to be competing. And it's like, but sit, like, do you not see that patriarchy is a challenge for all of us? Like you trying to fight over this dude that don't give a shit about neither one of us. Like, let's talk about, let's break that down. That don't make no sense. We're, we're, we're battling when really we are not like, and, and to be honest, there's no, to me, there's no enemy, but like, we are not enemies. We are especially not enemies. And in fact, we would do a lot more if we are working together, if we are, we are recognizing the community we have in each other and recognizing that my gain is not your loss and vice versa. Um, and so I tried to make that short, but hopefully not short. I tried to make it clear. So hopefully that's clear for folks as they're <laughs> listening. No, it was, it was great. I mean, I love that, um, I, I wrote down where are the places I'm being inauthentic? Yeah. And I just like that, ooh, that resonated yeah. right there. And even if to no one else but yourself, you're identifying that, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like again, I, I tell talk about my journey. My journey was a long journey in terms of coming out because nobody was out positively when I was younger. Um, and even my process of coming out, like I'm not gonna tell that here, but it was it was not sexy. It was not sexy at all. And there's still like a lot of folks in my life that don't know that part of me just because it was, you know, it ain't, it ain't your business. Right. But, um, I had to start with myself, right. I had to have that conversation with myself and be, and, and that conversation actually started at least a decade before I was willing to utter it to other folks. It was me sitting with myself and saying, okay, what do I see as the possibilities for me when it comes to love and romance and sex? Do I see, ah, I see that as being outside of what I've been taught. Okay, I'm gonna sit with it for a while. Do I, cause I don't need to make no decisions about it right now, but at least to myself, I can acknowledge that this is what is true for me. And then um, doing that in a work of thinking about, okay, well then what does that come up against? Ah, oh, that comes up against this community. Ah, oh, this comes up against, or it comes up against my place in this community. Ah, oh, it comes up against this thing I've been taught. Ah, oh, here it comes up against this other thing that I didn't even recognize was a dynamic here. You know, um, so I say that to say, even if the work starts internally, let it begin and do that, and then and see from there what where, how it comes out literally. Mm-hmm. And so through that journey, was there a moment that? you finally kind of reach that point of I am, I am proud or I, I am embodying that sense of pride, you know, within and whether that was an, an internal thing or something that then began to be an outward facing thing. Do you remember there being a specific moment? I think there's levels. 
right? Um, and I think they it does intersect with other identities. Um, and so my most recent kind of that was last Juneteenth when I was at the beach with my friends and being out and uh, just bold and unapologetic and like, fuck work. I'm just out doing my thing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's very... It's very difficult. What I will say is that each level typically for me has corresponded with a certain willingness to let go, meaning I release whatever I assume to be the response from others who are not important to me. Or they are important, and I just decided I'm going to release it anyway. Um, so I will say, and thankfully in the ancestral realm, we've had a lot of conversations. It was far easier for me to come out, at least in relationship, after my grandmother passed in 2004. She was the person that I was like, I don't know that I could <laughs> you know, be okay, right? Um, and that that was a little bit of a layer, right? Um relocating to an area that was more, that was bigger uh, and that had more of a stronger queer community was like, okay, here's a little bit more, you know, I can be, you know, I can be out and be proud. Um, And then moving into sex, I would say moving into sex ed helped out a lot because it is, it can be kind of a bubble, but it, for me at the time, it was a healthy bubble in the sense of I needed space to be to see people who looked like me, who were open and were comfortable to be able to be like, yes, I can do this. It's not the end of the world. And particularly as a Black person, it was important for me to be able to see, okay, if I do come out, if I lose everything else, I at least have Black community that I can connect to. Um, and so being able to see that. And like authentic community, not just, oh, we we bonding over this one thing. No, for me, it's important to have meaningful connections um, with folks. And so being able to see that I could do that, that helped a little bit more. And so it's just a gradual, gradual process. And I think if there's one moment that I would point to, I'd probably say sometime during my doctoral program where it just really occurred to me as a dark skinned, black, fat femme that like there was literally no way I could show up in the world and people not find something wrong with me. And so that really made it be like, well, you know what? Fuck this. What am I, what am I tripping about? Let's just come out in all of it. Right. And, um, and just be that right. Even, even, even while recognizing it's still a journey, right. One of the things I, I don't struggle with it as much anymore, but one of the things that I struggled with was whether or not I was queer enough because it was so late. And because, um, you know, I didn't have some grandiose queer love to be like, see, this is my validation. This is my proof that I'm really in this thing. Um, but but it just reached a point where it was like, there's no, I think it's, I don't know if it's human nature, but it sure seems to be pop culture nature these days to find fault with everything. And while I appreciate being critical, I do appreciate having a critical mind. You just have to reach a point where it's just like, you know what, I can't. I cannot uh, organize my life in such a way to make hypothetical others happy with me who don't know me. I don't know them. I don't even know, you know, so I have to organize myself, my life in a way where I'm happy with myself. And then that was really where it was like, okay, let's amp it up. And now, especially getting past 40, now you can't tell me shit. Quite frankly, <laughs> you can't tell me shit, really. 
<laughs> oh wow! Yeah, no, it 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 isn't. I think it's really important, and I'm glad that you kind of uh, kind of touched on those different moments because it is a journey. Yeah, it's not. Maybe for some, it it happens overnight, but I think more often than not, it is a long, arduous journey yeah. that you know it comes with its highs and lows. Um, and a lot of self-discovery. And to be honest, it's constantly changing. Yeah. And you're constantly learning more things about yourself and your identity. Yeah, it's That's such it. a journey. Yeah. And mm. I, I don't believe anybody who is has reached a place where they're like, boom, I'm out the gate comfortable, has reached the apex of who they're going to become. So there's going to be new pieces of yourself that you find out where it's like, oh, shit. Okay, so this is also something to be proud of, that this is a part of my experience. This is part of my identity. This is part of myself. Um, and it's okay, right? Like, that's the that's the beauty of all of this. That's the beauty of self-discovery, that there's always something wonderful and new to unpack. And if you're open to it, it can really only affirm you. It can really only, um, yeah, it can really only build you and just affirm you as you go through this life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with with that idea, you know, you've kind of we've defined pride as it means to you, and we've talked a little bit about um, your journey with pride. How do you now, as a sex and sexuality educator, hold that sense of pride within your daily interactions, uh, within your work and um, relationships? You know, how does that manifest as- itself? Yeah. Um, you know, on a daily basis, yeah. if, if at all, you know, how does, what does that look like? It does. It, it, and it does show up on a daily basis. Um, for me, a lot of it is removing, it's a constant, it's work. So it's, it's showing up as my best self while also removing, continually doing the work that remove to remove the barriers that keep me from that. So um, again, 2020 was big for me in terms of drawing my energy back. And a lot of drawing that energy back for me required me to remove shame narratives from my life. So going back to, again, to the stuff that I was taught when I was young, to the stuff, not just about um, queerness, but about Blackness and about being in this body and, and about being someone who talks too much and about being all of these things and just really, really doing the work to release that. So I can show up fully and be more willing to to be out in all the ways. Like I think, um, I think Billy Porter is a prime example of this. If folks know his journey, not just you know from Pose and all of that, but his journey in the '90s when he was an R&B singer and he was fronting and lying about his life to the public because that was what sold, right? Like there's a whole bunch of there's a whole body of artists, black artists from that era who were queer. And we're not able to be out because that was not acceptable at the time like that. And it wasn't just it wasn't acceptable. We don't like you. But there was a real social cost, a real financial cost um, to being out. Right. And so um, I would imagine I imagine this because my life, I feel so red, my spirit feels so resonant with his that a lot of his work, too, was just kind of removing that narrative to say, even if this is quote unquote true that, you know, there's something less than about me or whatever. I refuse to believe it. I refuse to accept it. And so for me, it's been that it's been saying, um, you know, like I reject the idea that, uh, there's something wrong with my body because it doesn't match this Eurocentric norm about bodies. I reject, um, the idea that, there's something wrong with me because my queer life doesn't look like this, that, and the third. There's some, I reject, I reject, I reject. And in that rejection, I've been able to breathe and really see like, 
I have what I have to give and I'm going, I, I feel comfortable bringing that out. And that way, the people I am meant to be in community with, the people I am meant to touch through my work, the me- people I'm meant to connect with, those people can see me and they can know that I'm available, right? That, that I'm available to access, uh, to, to have access with or to be whatever, to connect with, right? <laughs> there it is, there it is, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is is a regular process. It like literally, as much as a week ago, I was going in like, what else is in there that I got to clean out? What else is in there? And I would I would encourage anyone listening that um, as you do the work of claiming your pride and claiming your identity, don't be afraid to go into those recesses of your memories and kind of think about what did I learn from that teacher who, you know, wrote those microaggressive things on my report card about my behavior? What did I learn to, how did I learn to squelch myself because of that? How did I learn to, um, to shrink because of that first person I dated who just said, you know what, uh, I don't date by folks, but you know, like, what did I learn? What, how did I learn to, to stifle myself because of this, that, and the third and do the work, whether it is candle ritual, look, folks in who do that witchy stuff, get your ass a candle and do that candle ritual, right? Like, uh, get into some therapy, whatever it is you've got to do to clean that out because somebody deserves your light, right? And, and, and somebody needs your light. And so, that's 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 my process. That is literally my daily process. Just figuring out what can I clean and clear so I can show up more fully as myself. So. Mm. Somebody needs your light. Yeah. Mm. Literally. Wow. Right? <laughs> I mean, literally, like, like I'm gonna tell y'all the truth. There was no there I'm a sh- not I'm I'm you know what I'm not gonna own that. I'm not ashamed. Um, but one of the things that I find to be a challenge is that the very things that I loved in my culture, in, in Black pop culture, um, that we now kind of, oh, that's my jam, you know, that's old school stuff. I look at it and listen to it again, and I see just how problematic it was in certain other areas. Um, and so, like in the 90s, you never would have seen a show called Pose and really have that get the accolades that it gets now. Right. Um, even as much as I would say five or six years ago, because the narrative was that, you know, black trans women, the average age of death is 35. Right. We were looking through such an anti-black lens. We were looking at such a death informed lens that the idea of black trans, even when it came out, you know, I'll acknowledge for myself. I was re- I was noticing in myself like, oh, shit, I've so much embodied the narrative around not just black transness, not just black queerness, but also HIV. Right. The experience of having HIV that I I was like, wait. I'm noticing myself being surprised that people are still alive in season two and season three and that they're thriving in season two and season three because of the narratives that I had been fed about what it meant to have HIV in the early nineties. Right. Like I was at the height, I was part of that generation in in the height of the nineties where it was like, that is a death sentence. You will not be around. Right. And so to see that now, some some young Black trans person needs to see, like, not just see, like, oh, the, there were folks who were thriving back then, but like, oh, I could fucking become an actress, bitch. I could be writing shows, bitch. Well, I could have a be a showrunner, bitch. Like, yes, like, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, mm-hmm. we need that, right? We need that because, and, and, and so, like, at the same time, you, if you, I'm listening, the folks listening, if you are that person 
who could be the next Janet Mock, who could be the next MJ Rodriguez, who could be the next Dominique Jackson. And you're sitting there like, oh, but I don't, I don't, blah, blah, blah. Yes. And just know that someone is waiting on you. Somebody is waiting on you because you are the inspiration for them. Imagine if the women of Pose had said, nah, nope, I'm not putting myself out there. I'm not going to do it because I don't know what's going to happen. And it's justifiable, legitimate shit. But also imagine what we would not have been able to experience, right? Like imagine there would be no Zaya Wade if it weren't for folks being willing to just be themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy. Like I'm, 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 I'm going to tell you straight up. I'm a little nervous about this conversation because I've gotten more open than I've had in a long time. Right. But I acknowledge one, I acknowledge that my, my amnesty is far bigger than anything that could ever come against me at this point. Like that is one thing that has been, that I learned from 2020. Like, fuck y'all. I'm out here. <laughs> I'm out here. Y'all let that that orange motherfucker run this country for eight. Y'all gonna do what the fuck I want to do. That's what exactly. I'm going to do. Yes. But also, it's like, it's a, because I'm like, somebody needs to get it. Even, even if my life got taken, right? Or even like, that's not going to happen, right? But even if it did, mm-hmm. it means something, right? Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you want your life to mean? Be that. Be that. Even if nothing else, that you're just the brightest bitch at the ball. Be that shit. Right? Be that shit. And that, like, that's just, that's just it. That's just where I'm at. That's, like, time's out for cowering. Time's just out. Like, we don't, because we we clearly going to hell. Like, this country is going to fucking hell. And I don't mean that in the religious sense. I just mean, like, clearly we're going to shit. You can see it. Mm -hmm. So who the fuck do you want to be? Like, yeah. It's the time, time is now. Your time, the time is, is fucking now. now. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> so that's that on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That was it. Was good. It was great. <laughs> just thinking of my own experience, and you know that as we just kind of touched on that representation, right? The mm-hmm. the who is out there? Who can I? Who can I aspire to be? Who can I look at as a role model? Mm-hmm. I think that we're, we're there's progress, and we just kind of talked about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think on the other side, and why I really was wanting to bring you into this space was because looking at or thinking back to like the sex education that I got, mm-hmm. it is so centered in that binary world, yep. and I didn't all of all of the things that I now know you know, with, you know, regarding the queer community and that identity, yeah. I found out through internet searches, through, you know, uh, friends, through community. I mean, none of that came through that traditional education. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how could queering sex education and how could, you know, establishing a more queer inclusive uh, sex education curriculum, yeah. um, you know, benefit the queer youth and the straight youth, yeah. right? Like, how could that benefit Absolutely. everyone Absolutely. Uh, moving forward? So I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Part of the reason why you don't see that push as much as it needs to be is because just like everything else, sex ed is political, right? Um, it is informed not only by... Um, social norms about what how things should be, but also uh, political norms about where we should be directing funds, right? And because much of, of sex ed 
what we know it to be is at the K-12 level and it's in schools, that's where we run up against um, what is the continual push to like keep the shit as binary as possible. And I would say it's a push on both sides, meaning the conservatives and the the, the comprehensive folks, right? And I put air quotes because I was going to say liberal, but that's not what I mean either. So I'm, I'm going to try to say this and offer some, tr- I think it's important to hold grace, right? Because the shit gets real. Like right now, one of my colleagues I love is coming under fire for just acknowledging what we know to be the case that kids masturbate, right? And talking about that in a first grade classroom, right? That is the situation that they're under because uh, the, the conservatives who are organized were like, fuck that. You don't get to teach that, right? Mm. So, and, and and this person is at a, what's considered a more progressive school. So imagine being somewhere in fucking like Oklahoma, being in Alabama, where they're like, bitch, you can't even talk about, sex. you can't even mention sex. Matter of fact, don't talk about racism. Don't talk about none of this shit, right? So then we see where the challenge is. Um, in that even those who want to be on the liberal end are like, how can we get this shit to the most kids without like without ruffling unnecessary feathers? That is why we have the sex ed that we have, um, unfortunately. I say that to say there are amazing things that can be done when we queer sex ed. Uh, not only queer, but we inter- make it intersectional. Like really, that's where I think we need to go. Not just looking at queering it, but making it intersectional and just acknowledging that, um, like we said at the beginning, sexuality is such a fucking big ass universe that uh, what we get in sex ed is really actually my 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 colleague. Uh, uh, I'm a oh, I'm a butcher. I'm a butcher. Her name, and I apologize for that. Uh, I always call her Lena, but then I'm like, nope. I heard, I learned it was a different name. Lena Bay Chang. She talks about how it's sex ed training, like it's sexual health training, because it's really about what what we are willing to give money for, which is pregnancy prevention which is HIV prevention, which is STI prevention. That's the shit that we're willing to politically as a nation pour money, pour resources, pour attention into, which is quote unquote physical sexual health. And so what we have to do, honestly, my if we're going to get to really radical, like really liberating sex ed, we got to pull it out of schools, period. Because I think you're going to continually run into the political challenge of people in communities who are like, no, I don't want you fucking teaching my child the realities of the shit that's happening with their bodies or the shit that's happening with who they love or the shit that's happening with fucking relationships, right? Like even just the fact that consent education is the shit we got to like debate about. People are debating Mm -hmm. about consent and whether or not that should be in sex education. Um, To me, it's like you got to pull all of that out. If we could pull away from that, what I think is going to be most beneficial for us is to get to what I refer to as a developmental model, which is less about helping young people prevent things versus helping them understand and plant themselves within their sexual universes. And so when we do that, that is inherently queering it. That is inherently mm-hmm. inter- intersecting it. And it starts from having them understand, one, the full universe that's possible, two, the fact that all this shit is diverse and queer and can be organized in the ways that make sense for them. And then three, that it not only can be, but it is it is up to them as the chief arbiter of their lives to make sense of what's coming across for them and what they want to have, want to experience and not experience. And Mm -hmm. for me, just based on my experience working both in schools, out of schools, with people who work with schools, that's not a conversation that folks are ready to have. That's not a conversation. And 
fair, again, holding grace fairly enough because we can't even just get past the, like, can I just come and talk about a condom? Can I just come and talk about contraceptives? Can I just come and talk about penises? Can I mention the word penis, right? I think us who are, are more imaginative, who are more in line with freedom and, and more in line with liberation, we're asking for a lot right now politically. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, doesn't mean that we shouldn't stop asking. It just means it's just important to understand that if we want to get to the sex ed that we really want, where we are intersectional and it, everything is inherently queer, we got to we got to pull away from the traditional sex ed model, because that's just really I, I would even, I'm starting to see that it, that's not even what that original model was for. And I, as you talk about kind of like pulling that out of the school, I wonder two things come to mind. One, I, the question I'd like to ask or something I'd like to put into the universe is sex education is is not just about the the genitalia mm-hmm. and um pregnancy and you know Ow. those are all important things right. but there's so much more about identity yep. and as you were talking about consent and you know what does a what are the possible family models yes. out there yes. you know what are the relationship not, styles yes, yes yes there's so much more yeah. that can be taught that could benefit the youth and, you know, just everyone. And because of that importance, um, you know, whatever that new developmental model, whatever that looks like, I wonder who are the the folks that are kind of responsible for that. You know, I think of like teachers, I think of parents, I think of, um, you know, whether it's like daycares or wherever that may be, who are the folks that could be responsible in that world? And how do we help and and educate and get the resources to those folks so that we can provide this more yeah. um, inclusive and expansive education yeah. um, for our youth? I think that is a great question. Um, I believe it is a community effort, meaning that every single person with a body and a sexual universe is part of it, facilitated and guided by um, trained sexologists. Like folks who study this material, who are trained in the art of teaching sex ed um, and are willing to facilitate that learning for other folks. Um, One of the other things that's also why we're asking for a lot is that far often at the K-12 level, school-based folks are not trained sex educators. They're often the health teacher the mm-hmm. gym teacher, the music teacher, which all of these folks I love. I've worked with them. I love them. Some of them are interested in doing this work. Many of them are not because that's not what they went to school for. They do not care to teach your kid about, you know, how to use a condom. They don't, that, that's not what they're mm-hmm. driven for. That's not what their passion is. Meanwhile, there are scores of folks who are coming from university or coming from programs, training programs that love this work. They love teaching about sexuality and they don't have the opportunity to do that because we don't have a society that one, values sex education um, or two, creates a lane in which that can happen. However, if we were to imagine this space, I, I believe I see folks like myself 
uh, folks, you know, I'm gonna just name off some folks, mo- folks like Melissa Carnegie, who who's in charge of sex positive families, folks like Ask Goody, folks like, you know, like Erica Hart, who are taking it straight to the communities who can work with folks, work with parents who are interested in saying, yeah, I want to teach, I, I don't talk to my kid because I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, who can sit with them and say, I'm, I can help you, right? Uh, folks like Brittany Broaddus Smith, who uh, runs the intimacy farm, who specifically works with Christian folks to say, I can help you. I can help you have these conversations. I can help you talk with yourself. Um, that's what I see has to happen. That the folks who are are trained and rooted and passionate about this work are given that credence to be able to come into the community and say, hey, I'm here to work with us. That's one of the, um, I think, one of the uh, challenges of traditional sex ed too that we often don't talk about are the ways that we, the traditional model has kind of set up itself to be at odds with the community. Um, and I and I get why this is because a lot of the ways in which historically uh, sex ed systems interact with the community is through parents who are like, I don't want this shit. I don't want you da 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 da. And and matter of fact, you know all of this. And so you know, sex ed has had to defend itself to say, okay, well, you know, how can we do this so parents aren't mad? Um, but what they but we're not acknowledging is that particularly with newer generations of young people, you have par- or newer generations of parents, you have folks who are saying, I want to do I want to show up or at minimum, they're saying, I don't give a shit. Don't you learn this in school? Right. Mm-hmm. And so there's an opportunity to stop, stop being so reactive to the minority who don't want this and start speaking to the majority to say, OK, how can we work together to get our young people what they need? Because that information will trickle to the folks who need it to everybody who needs it. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's my imagination. That's what I see as my folk. And then as folks who determine they want to be sex educators, they can come and they can get that coaching. They can get that, um, they can build that community with folks who are established, who know what they're doing, who can help them uh, get into the work and establish themselves. Because it really, it's not like traditional education. It's not like math, right? Where, okay, the mathematician is the only person who knows. Like, no, I don't know everything, but what I do know how to do is facilitate this space so we can all Mm -hmm. talk about it. And I know how to help you get empowered to feel like you can keep the conversations going once I leave. And that's what I'm going to do if you let me. Yeah. Because the fact of the matter is within like the queer community specifically, the queer individuals, youth exist. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more as more research and surveys are done that that percentage of LGBTQ plus youth is going up. I mean, I think just in, I believe it was 2020, there was a uh, survey that went out. It was like one in six kids yeah. identified within that umbrella. And let's be clear, they're coming out, right? Like, Correct. They've always been here. Like, like Correct. again, I'm not going to get, I've already gotten way more personal than I want to be, but no, <laughs> queer kids have always been there. Mm-hmm. Right, <laughs> uh-huh. and, and it's not you can't just sweep that under the rug. All, you can't, yeah. At all. And, and and you actually you said something that made me think uh, about the ways in which uh, queer folks and marginalized folks of all kinds, but especially queer folks, how we always teach each other, right? Like mm. the learning is going to happen, whether or not you as the adult say anything. And so the question is, do you want them to learn bullshit? Or do you want them to learn facts? Do you mm-hmm. want them to be in a space where they feel confident about what they're doing and feel affirmed in what they're doing? Or do you want them to be shamed? Which leads to the the things that we are willing to fund, which is the poor health outcomes, right? That's not, it's not someone is having sex and they got HIV. No, someone is moving in shame and they 
in, interact in ways that are considered quote unquote dangerous because they are clouded in shame. They don't seek the help that they need. They don't access the support that they could in fact be getting. And that is how it occurred. Like stigma is the biggest source of all of these issues. And we don't touch it at all because, oh, well, you know, people have a right to believe what they want to believe. No, that's not how this works. If we are in, like, if we are intentional about liberation, intentional about learning, intentional about overall long-term health. Not to mention, like, the, with that stigma and with that shame, that just leads to uh, higher rates of violence yeah. and abuse. Yes. Self-harm, all of it. All of yeah. it. Absolutely. And and I will say, I think we've done a good job in sex ed and really kind of helping even amongst like those who believe in comprehensive sex ed to see that through line a little bit better as it relates to LGBTQ young, young kids. Right. So mm-hmm. being able to to talk about, OK, you know, this is not about. I'm I'm just quoting the narrative here. Like this is not about uh, promoting homosexuality as it is about creating safe space and preventing mental health challenges and those sorts of things. And so I think that language has been helpful, and I think that effort has been helpful to really do the work of queering sex ed. Um, I would just argue that there's more to it, right? Like like if we were to queer sex ed tomorrow we'd still have conversations that need to happen about racialized sexuality. We'd still have conversations that need to happen about disabled sexuality and the ways that we traumatize uh, the experiences of differently abled folks uh, and disabled folks um, in terms of their sexual expression, the ways that we cause harm, right? Um, there would still need to be conversations around, you know, access to abor- like all of these other things. And so I think there's just more, right? Like, and, and we just mm-hmm. have to do a bigger, bigger, we have to take a much bigger lens to really, really do the work that we need to do to be um, accessible to all young folks. Thank you. I think that that kind of leads me to my last part of the conversation where, you know, as it, as we talk about like all of these things to do, right, it can seem kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, I've like, I've, I'm wanting to create this queer cue, as it were, of just resources or things for listeners to go to, you know, that includes educational opportunities or books, or maybe it's just something like a piece of art or um, Mm -hmm. a a TV show like Pose, something to just go and enjoy and to educate yourself and to just make those steps forward. Um, I wonder if you have anything at the top of your mind that you would kind of add to the queer cue, as it were. Um, for folks that are looking for something, it could be a few things. Uh, look, <laughs> um, I was like, but how much time you got? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, let me get my list out. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking around uh, for the book, the first book that's coming to my mind. It's not here, but, um, and I think it also depends on what level we're talking about, right? So if we're, I'm assuming we're talking about adults, um, in which case I would uh, suggest E. Patrick Johnson's uh, Black Queer Studies book. And I think, I'm certain I'm about 95% certain that's the name, but I, I use so much stuff from E. Patrick Johnson because I love I love his work. He really talks about what queerness looks like in Black communities. And one of the things he stresses, which I also firmly, firmly believe, is that um, there is a through, li- through line between queerness as we understand it today and Black folks as being the original queer folks in the United States. So his work, I would, we already talked about Pose. Like, I, I feel like, at some point, I'm going to have a conversation somewhere. Maybe the universe will bring it to me where, where I could just talk through the very first episode of Pose. Like it literally had me in tears and I was mm-hmm. watching it and I was like, 
I know that people watching this do not see the full levels of what is happening in this moment right now, not just in terms of the show itself, but what's happening in the episode, right? Um, so pose. <laughs> Let's see, what else? Uh, I, I already mentioned Melissa Carnegie's Sex Positive Families, like her amazing, amazing, amazing resource of books uh, from from little, little kids all the way up to adults that cover um, sexuality, gender, like all aspects of sexuality and does it through an intersectional lens. So there's pieces there that talk about racism. There's pieces there that talk about sexism and, 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 um, transphobia, hope, you know, like everything, all the things. Damn. Like there's just a lot. I don't know. <laughs> right. There's it, the list, the, the list goes on. It goes on and on and on. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll plug my work. Um, uh, my book is coming out, uh, at the end of the year, black and sexy, uh, an epistemology of race. No, a framework of racialized sexuality. Like, you know, you go through a lot of different titles. Um, <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I try not to talk about stuff until I know it's going to happen. And that I know that is also a residual of my experience being in a Black body. But um, yeah, it's it's based on my dissertation research where I asked folks to talk about, African-American folks to talk about the ways that race impacts the way they think about sexuality. And I was able to come up with a model that um, unpacks that. And so I think that's another one for folks trying to understand what that lived experience is like, what um, some of the stories might be to understand why race does matter when you're talking about sex in the United States and maybe even the world, but particularly in the United States. And so I would put that on right on the list as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot. <laughs> so. That's perfect. I, I'm so excited. I'm, ooh, I, I'm a big reader, so I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. awesome, awesome, awesome. And of course, you can listen to the, the my podcast. Um, I try as much as possible to just give folks food for thought. Um, and I know some of the messages might be like, you said this every time. And I'm like, I, I'm saying it again, because you need to hear it. And until and it seeks in, seeps in. Mm-hmm. So. Well, Dr. G, I cannot thank you enough. This was... <laughs> So wonderful. I'm so glad that I was able to bring you on. Yes, I'm so glad that I was able to be here. I know this has been a few months in the making, so I do apologize. (laughs) No, life is crazy. Life is is crazy. We are all out here doing the work. (laughs) Doing the best we can. Yes. Well, uh, before we leave, uh, would you mind kind of sharing where folks can find you and to, you know, follow your work? Yes. um, Yes. As, you know, as they sign off or as we sign off. Yes. Yes. Um, So I just actually just changed my social media info so you can find me at Tracy G underscore the underscore PhD. Um, and so that's T-R-A-C-I-E, not with a Y or E-Y. It is T-R-A-C-I-E, a G underscore the underscore PhD. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook. If you just type in my name, you'll find me. Um, yeah, I'm there. I, I again, 2020, changed the game for me. And I, I, to follow the, 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 to quote the great Whitney Gilbert, Whitley Gilbert of a different world. I don't speak unless I have something to say. So I don't speak very often on there, but I do try to share as much as I can. So. Mm. Well, I will, we'll make sure to include all of that in the, in, in the show notes um, so that people can go find, can go find you and follow and y'all listen, listen to TSOB. It's, it's a good one. I highly recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dr. G. I'm I'm so glad you were able to join us. Um, And I, I hope you have a a wonderful rest of the day and um, you too. We'll, we'll chat soon. Absolutely. This has been Queer by Birth, Proud by Choice with Jake Federowski. 
I ask for your patience as I venture on this journey. If I have said anything that came across as offensive, uneducated, or simply incorrect, please feel free to contact me. I look forward to listening and learning. You can email me at qbbpbc at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter and or Instagram at qbbpbc. Please like and share as you are able. It is much appreciated. Last but certainly not least, I'm forever grateful for the wonderful artwork designed by my friend Kristen, whose website will be linked in the show notes. Thank you.